Chapter Fourteen of A Mayfair Magician, A Romance of Criminal Science. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista. A Mayfair Magician, A Romance of Criminal Science, by George Griffith. Chapter Fourteen. Although he rejoiced greatly in the possession of his refound powers, and although the drab monotony of his prison life was almost transfigured by the glowing speculation in which he indulged as to the possible use to which he could put them, Jenner Halkine was far too prudent to make indiscreet use of them. For the present, therefore, he contented himself with keeping Warder Jackson, who happened to be a peculiarly sensitive subject, more or less completely under his control. By this means he secured many luxuries and privileges which are not mentioned in His Majesty's prison regulations. The miserable diet was supplemented by such portable delicacies as potted meats, jam, sardines, and anchovies, with now and then a half pint of wine or brandy, and perhaps best of all, a newspaper. It was in one of these that he read an account of the action which Harold Enstone had taken to set aside the will and abolish his own trusteeship. He had never read anything more anxiously in his life than he read that half-column, inch by inch, as opportunity offered, but when he had got hold of all the facts, he smiled as he hid the paper away until he could return it to his henchman, and said to himself, That is all very good. The million is ours, and Isa will keep faith to me even to death, and who knows but that between us we may some day find a way to open this living tomb. What he had actually learnt was that Harold's action had been successful so far as the actual estate and personal property was concerned. His own trusteeship and that of Isa Ramal had been declared null and void on the ground of improper influence, and the court had given everything back to Harold as Sir Godfrey's sole lawful heir. But over the million that had already been drawn out of the estate, the court had no power. It is one of the peculiarities of English law that while it can punish the thief, it cannot compel him to disgorge his plunder. No further penalty could be inflicted on a man already sentenced to penal servitude for life, and so Harold Enstone had to submit to the loss of the million with what grace he could, and Isa Ramal guarded it safely, and watched interest being piled upon interest until the day that he hoped for should come. One day, about a week before Halkine's probation came to an end, he was to be transferred to the great convict prison at Nethermore, within whose grey granite walls he was to pass the rest of his days, a serious mischance befell him. Warder Jackson was struck down by typhoid fever, and in his delirium he raved about convicts with awful eyes which saw into his brain, and waving hands that blinded him, and a voice that he could not disobey, which commanded him to forsake his duty and do all manner of unlawful things. It so happened that both the governor and the doctor of the prison were men of considerable enlightenment and intelligence, and when they came to put their heads together, they arrived at the conclusion that Warder Jackson's story, which he told in connected form after he recovered his reason, tallied so completely with the strange allegations which had been made at Halkine's trial that, at the very least, the matter was worth careful investigation. Without saying anything to Halkine, the governor had dinner before him in his private room, 
and told him that if he would speak plainly and honestly about the supposed occult powers of his late accomplice the marks which he would lose for receiving his letter would be restored to him and nothing more would be said of the matter naturally denyer spoke quite freely and he also took the opportunity of asking leave to petition the home office for protection against dr isa ramal and ram das the leave was granted not so much for his sake as for the reason that the authorities were not sorry to have a specific excuse for keeping an eye on halkine's associates who were probably also his confederates since the vanished million was undoubtedly in their possession his story of the strange powers which he had seen halkine exercise on both sir godfrey and his niece before her marriage tallied exactly with warder jackson's confession but when the interview was over the doctor said to the governor in my opinion this is distinctly a case that it will be well worth while both for us and the nethermore people to watch carefully and if possible without exciting this man's suspicions i know dr saunderson at nethermore very well and if you agree i will write him a description of the case as far as i can yes replied the governor you might as well do that at once doctor and while you're at it i'll pay a little surprise visit to our friend with the wonderful eyes and see if i can make anything of him take care he doesn't make something that you don't want to be of you sir replied the doctor seriously it's only the plain truth that when a man really does possess this mysterious power whatever it is there's scarcely any limit to it for instance i've seen a man in the infirmary at the salpetrier singing a comic song while his leg was being amputated without anesthetics and simply under hypnotic suggestion i quite believe it said the governor i've read descriptions myself of the most extraordinary cases described by the very best authorities i'll take good care he doesn't fix me with his basilisk gaze although i hardly think he'd dare to try any tricks on me a prison with a hypnotized governor would be rather too gilbertian what on earth would our respected commissioners think of it the said commissioners would have been just as much astounded as the governor was if they could have accompanied him on his visit to halkine's cell it so happened that the chaplain who like all prison chaplains worked rather for the love of his work than for a living was visiting the distinguished prisoner that afternoon he was making yet another of the many earnest efforts he had already made to make some impression upon halkine's callous skepticism and to bring him to a juster sense of the fate which his misdeeds had brought upon him when the governor entered the cell he was amazed to find the reverend edward cartwright standing bolt upright in the corner behind the door his arms held stiffly down his sides and his eyes staring straight at halkine who was sitting at the other end of the cell by the little shelf that served for a table calmly dictating a letter which the chaplain was to write for him to his friend isa ramal the reverend gentleman was just repeating in a mechanical automatic voice the last paragraph of the letter when the governor swung the door to behind him and exclaimed good heavens mr cartwright what on earth is the matter and you halkine why don't you stand up in his anger at the breach of discipline he forgot the doctor's caution and stared straight into the luminous magnetic eyes in an instant they had gripped his and held them the chaplain's eyelids drooped his voice died away in a murmur and he seemed to go to sleep standing as rigid as a sleepwalker because my dear sir i prefer to sit down 
replied Halkine, in slow, musical, and yet intensely penetrating tones. "'It is you who shall stand. You had better do as you are told,' he went on, as the governor made a struggling movement towards him. "'You know if I were to tell you to stand on your head, you'd have to do it.' "'Confound you, you scoundrel! I'll—' "'Take care, sir. Take care,' said the voice again, as the eyes grew darker and bigger, and seemed to come closer. "'You are a somewhat apoplectic subject, and it would be very awkward if you had a fit in my cell with the door locked. They might think I had killed you, and I wouldn't like to do that. Now listen. I understand from the chaplain that Mr. Denyer has made a confession about me, and that there is some idea of punishing me for causing him to break the regulations by reducing my diet and keeping me in solitary confinement. You will do nothing of the kind. My probation is nearly up, and I've had about enough of this sort of thing. You will credit me with the full amount of marks, and you will write this evening to the governor at Nethermore, where I hear I am to be transferred, informing him that my conduct has been as good as my health has been delicate, and that you therefore suggest that I shall be treated with every consideration. If you don't do this, and show me the letter before you post it, I shall keep you under my influence as I did Jackson, and compel you to do something that shall ensure your dismissal. Do you promise on your honor as a gentleman? The governor struggled hard to say what he wanted to say, but it was no good. Halkine rose and came close to him. He felt his hands grip his temples, and saw the two eyes merge into one, as Warder Jackson and the chaplain had seen them. Then he heard his own voice saying, Yes, I promise, on my honor. Very well, said the voice quickly. Now you may unlock that door. Mr. Cartwright, he went on, passing his hand upward over the chaplain's forehead. Come, it's time you woke up. Remember that you also have a letter to write for me. You'd better go and do it, and be careful not to forget anything I've told you. The chaplain's eyes opened, and he replied in a dreamy voice, Oh, no, I shall certainly not forget. I remember it perfectly. And when you have written it and posted it, understand that then, and not till then, you are to forget it. Now you may go. The governor unlocked the door and went out with the chaplain, leaving Halkine sitting by his little shelf and laughing softly. The two letters were written forthwith, and Mr. Cartwright, who was a man of highly nervous temperament and much more sensitive than the governor, brought them both back to the cell at supper-time in their stamped, directed envelopes. They were both very strange communications, but the one to Dr. Isa Ramal, although more than twice the length of the other, was to the ordinary eye totally unintelligible. The chaplain had written it mechanically, just as he had learnt it from Halkine's lips. If he could have read it when his faculties were under his own control, he would have seen that it was quite the most amazing letter that a chaplain of one of His Majesty's prisons could possibly have written. The master prisoner approved them both, and the chaplain took them to the nearest post office outside the prison and dispatched them. It's amazing! and if we didn't know that such things are possible, it would be absolutely incredible. Of course, it's perfectly easy now to see what the judge was really thinking about when he told the jury that English law took no account of this occult or superhuman power, 
or whatever it is. If it had done, of course, this fellow would have been hung long ago, as I think he ought to have been under any circumstances. Now, you see, we have two living proofs that Halkine really does possess this power, just as Charcot and Ribot and a dozen others in France, Germany, and Italy have it. The only difference is that they used it for good, while this fellow used it for evil. That's all very well, doctor, said the governor, who had asked him and the chaplain to come to his house and smoke a pipe after supper and talk over the strange doings of the day. That's all very well, but, granted everything that you say, there remains the fact that I have written and posted a perfectly ridiculous letter. I mean, of course, ridiculous from the official point of view, to the governor of Nethermore, a letter which I can't contradict now without giving everything away. And what is almost infinitely worse than that, Mr. Cartwright, than whom, as you know, his majesty has no more earnest or loyal servant, has, under this infernal influence, or whatever it is, committed such a grievous breach of the king's regulations that nothing could save him or myself either, for the matter of that, from instant dismissal and possibly imprisonment. Good heavens, he continued, rising from his chair with a jerk. Just imagine what would have happened if we had had one of the directors or the visiting magistrates in the prison this afternoon. Phew! I daren't even think of it. Nor I, said the chaplain, raising his light blue eyes and looking across the table at the governor. Really, it is too amazing, and in another sense, quite too ludicrous for, well, we will say an official report. Heaven's alive, exclaimed the governor. Put that in an official report? No, sir, not for anything. And now, doctor, you know more about this sort of thing than we do. What is your advice? The doctor took two or three pulls at his pipe and a sip at his glass of port. He watched the blue wreaths curling up towards the ceiling and melting away in the smoke-laden haze of the room. And then he took his pipe out of his mouth and said, well, sir, as regards what we may call the breaches of discipline, the harm is done, and therefore the less said about the affair, the better. Personally, I think that this is a part of a scheme of revenge that Hawkine has been hatching for weeks, possibly for months past, and if it all came out, there wouldn't be a more pleased prisoner endurance vile than he. As regards his next move, my leave will be coming on just then, and I should like you to give me permission to accompany the jailers with him to Nethermore. I can explain it very much better to Saunderson over a glass of his North Country toddy than I could by writing. And meanwhile, he went on, putting his hand into the breast pocket of his coat and taking out a mask and a pair of dark goggles, such as motor drivers wear. I think it would be as well, in case other accidents might happen, if our friend of the wonderful eyes were, as one might say, put in blinkers. Hmm. A very good idea indeed, doctor, said the governor. But I'm afraid the regulations won't allow us to force him to wear them. Oh, hang the regulations, said the doctor impatiently. You'll have to take the law into your own hands this time, sir. And if our patient objects, let him complain to the directors, and then let them come and interview him. I shouldn't wonder if we found them sweeping out Halkine's cell five minutes afterwards. At any rate, as this comes somewhat into my province, if you'll use the physical force, if necessary, I'll take the professional responsibility. Very well, doctor, said the governor. 
I'm agreeable to that. If there's any trouble about it, you and I will share it, and Mr. Cartwright here will help us out. The chaplain nodded and smiled, and so it came about that Jenner Halkine, in spite of many protests, made the journey from London to Nethermore, masked and goggled, like the driver of a racing motor car. End of chapter 14 Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista